Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. If you want to know your DNA, you want to know who you are in Christ and what God has done for you in Jesus, we look at the Bible. And in the last two week, uh, in the last two weeks, Pastor Greg has been uh, taking us through the Scripture to see that that is the basis. That is the foundation, that, that is where we see our fundamentals. That is who we are as believers, not social media, <laughs> okay? The, you know, Facebook is not going to tell us who we are as a Christian. Um, the news, the society, environment, uh, the virus, COVID-19, will not dictate to us who we are as believers, okay? We're going to check the Word of God to know who we are. And last week, we, you know, we, we went through the scripture that the Bible is good. The scriptures, they are good for instruction. They are good for teaching us who we are as a believer. But today, um, we're going to look at another flavor of our DNA in Christ. I'm going to go, I'm going to try to go as slow <laughs> as I can so that I can pass across my thoughts across to you. Because it's very important to really understand who we are. So let's start today, and we're going to be looking at a topic called uh, passionate, passionate worshippers, okay? Because that is part of our DNA, okay? We want to see how do we worship God? How has God made us to worship him, okay? Because in the scripture, and again, we're going to be checking the scripture to see how to do that and how we can become a passionate um, worshiper. Now, what is worship in the first place? Okay, so I'm going to do some quick definition to say that, you know, worship is the act of attributing honor to God. Worship is the act of attributing honor to God. And in the New Testament, there are several words that, are, that were translated from the Greek to English to let us understand what worship is. There's one of the words that I would just like to um, talk about, and that is the word proskuneo. <laughs> it's proskuneo. Uh, permit my pronunciation of that. I'm not Greek. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> All right. But it means to worship. The pro there means to come before, like pro, proactive. You do that before. Okay, so procunios there means the pro there means to come before, and the cunio there means to bow. Okay, showing worship. So it means proscunio, okay, translated from Greek as worship in English means to come before and worship. Okay, it means to come before and pay honor or attribute honor to God. All right. Uh, so that's that, that's that. Uh, and again, worship means to show lots of love, to show adoration to God. Okay, it means to worship, you know, in an with an extreme form of love. So when you see us, we raise our hands and we are singing, "Jesus Christ, yours is the victory." We are worshiping God. Okay, follow me, and you know, I'm going to take us through a thought line, and we're going to find all of those in the scripture because that is who we are. That is who God has made us to be, right? So it means, so other words for worship here will now be that, will now be reverence. You, you, you venerate, you, you know, you, you serve God, okay? Those are other perspectives to the word called worship. 
you know, you, you, you adore adoration. You adore God. Okay. And you pay gratitude. You say, Father, Lord, thank you. Just like when we say, let us thank God. Let us give him glory. Let us praise his name. Okay. That is worship. Okay. So those are the acts. Uh, you know, it means honor. I've talked about honor and it talks about ascribing worth. You ascribe worth, something that is worthy. Okay, actually, there's another flavor of that definition that I call it worthy. Worthy means worthy of worship. Okay, so that is all of those words form worship. Now, and it's also important for me to describe to us that our view, our understanding about the scripture, since the Bible forms the basis for what we practice, the Bible forms the basis for what we do. So it is important to understand from the scripture's perspective, how we worship God, okay? Because our understanding, our doctrine about the Bible, the understanding that we have about God will greatly influence how we worship him. It will, all right? And today, I'm going to try to separate, because to separate be, uh, between how do they worship God in the Old Testament and how do we now worship God in the New Testament? Because there are two different things. How do they? They used to, it used to happen in the Old Testament. There's a way they worshiped God in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, to which you and I belong, there's a way we are expected, not expected. There's a way the Bible teaches us to worship him. All right? And we're going to go through all of that today quickly in the few minutes that I have. So I've said that um, you know, a wrong interpretation of the scripture cannot produce the right kind of worship. Okay, A wrong interpretation of the scripture about who God is, about who Jesus is, cannot produce the right kind of worship. And that is what I want to truly you know, pass across today, that by the end of today, when you really, really know who God is, and you know how he has so blessed you, we're singing a song here that Jesus Christ is our living hope. By the time, you know, we really, really begin to, un- apparently, we, we can't know all of those today. But I'm going to try to show a bit of who God is, okay, to paint a picture to you of what God has done in you, what, G- what God has done in Jesus in you, okay? It will greatly influence your worship. Okay, so when you see us dancing or running up and down and we are rejoicing, it's not because we've won a billion pounds. <laughs> what we've got is more than that. What we've got in Jesus is more than that. Okay, and to think about it, that it's just free of charge. He's not expecting anything from us than to just believe. Just believe. That's what he says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And what's the requirement from you? That whosoever believes, whosoever will believe. That is just what he's expecting from you. Okay? And, and I'm going to try to show, I don't want to go out of myself, because it's exciting. So think about this God that is that, that so loved. Not, not because I also prayed. Not because I, you know, my name is Ayo. Not because <laughs> Ayo is such in desperate need and he asked. I was not even thinking about him. The Bible says in Ephesians that we were dead in our sins. It says, we were, it says we were strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. Okay? It says at that time, it says, we say, we, we say, it says, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were without God in this world. We were absolutely out. No clue. Nothing. 
God came after us. God, he, he so loved and he gave. He so loved and he gave us that opportunity to be able to become his own. What a privilege. That is the understanding. That is how and why we worship God. We, we're going to get there. Now, um, so I've talked about the fact that, you know, a proper understanding of Jesus, a proper understanding of God will help us to worship God better. Let me just make an, uh, let's open our Bible to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, verse 14, to show an example of what I'm trying to say. So this, so this was Paul. He was defending himself against, uh, sorry, in front of Felix. Felix, you know, used to be a leader, you know, in Paul's days. So he says, but this I confess to you, Acts chapter 24, verse 14. He says, but this I confess unto you, that after the way, look at it, after the way which they call heresy, so I worship God of my father's believing all the things which were written in the, in the law and the prophets. That was Paul. So after the way, you know, I worship God of my fathers, believing everything that was written in the law and the prophets. So Paul worshiped God based on his understanding of God, based on his understanding of the law and of the prophets, right? But then... Let's look at how the Bible wants us to worship God. John chapter 4 is a very popular story in the scripture about the woman at the well that Jesus met for water and they began a conversation. Because of our time, we're not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to go to the middle of the story and bring out the point that I want to emphasize on there. So, uh, of, uh, so she's a Samaritan woman. Jesus met her by the wall, uh, sorry, by the well, I mean to say and uh, asking for water, and the conversation began. So I will start from verse 19. That's not the beginning of the story, but uh, yeah. So verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say this, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. That's part of their conversation. Jesus was saying, uh, uh, the, the, the woman was saying that, he was telling us that, okay, we should worship here. Our father says we should worship in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not going to take us there because it's actually true. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, okay, it says, you shall come, says the Lord your God will appoint a place Okay, where you're going to worship him, you bring your fruit offering, you're going to bring your bond offering, you know, that is the instruction, that's the guideline for worshiping in the Old Testament. Okay, they come to a place in Jerusalem. Okay, and uh, we saw when Solomon built that temple in 1 Kings chapter 3. Okay, he built that temple and they actually brought fruits and offerings and, uh, you know, what have you, to offer to God, to worship God. That was the model given to them in the Old Testament, right? And uh, so we saw that. So let's continue to read. Let's continue to read. And they did that. Apparently, that is the way the Samaritan, that woman, that was the way she has been worshiping God. That's the way she knew to worship God. That they go to Jerusalem, you know, uh, time after time, you know, to worship God, 
right? Now, because we're talking about passionate worshippers, I'm just taking us through a story, how worship began, and how it was done, and how it's now supposed to be done. So please, let's just follow this story. And in verse 20, I like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, the time cometh, the moment cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. <laughs> at the time Jesus was speaking here, that moment is not, you know, that moment hasn't come yet. So he's saying the time is coming. Jesus here insinuating his death and his resurrection. That by the time I'm dead, by the time I resurrect again, that time will come. Where you will no longer go to Jerusalem or you, you won't go to a mountain to worship God. Okay? Don't forget, worshiping God talks about coming before him, okay, to worship. So they go to Jerusalem, they come before God to worship. But Jesus is, you know, in his, converse, in his conversation with the woman, now says that the days are coming, the time is coming, and actually that time was 2000, over 2000 years ago. We'll be saying 2000 as if it's over 2000 years ago. It's quite a long time that that time came. Okay? So let's read on. Um, so, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall worship neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. Verse 22. Ye worship what? Ye worship ye know not what? Okay, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Now, it's not saying salvation belongs to the Jews alone. It's just saying salvation will come from the Jews. He said, you know, it was a Jew. Jesus being a Jew, you know, uh, uh, salvation comes from there and it goes to the whole of the world, right? So it, so it doesn't mean, because, you know, that could be interpreted as if it's only the Jews that will be saved. No, salvation is for all. It's for everybody. Okay, from Africa to Asia to America to North America to Europe, everywhere needs, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs God. So salvation is for everybody. All right. Now, verse 23. But the hour cometh, and now is it, when true worshippers, when true worshippers, does that not tell us that people they were worshiping God before this time. They were not true worshippers. Okay? Now, it says true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. They, you know, that's, let, let's just read so that I don't paraphrase. Worshippers shall worship the Father. Now, notice the twist. Notice the twist. He wasn't saying they're going to worship God. He said they're going to worship the Father. There's a twist there. Okay, because in the Old Testament, God is the God. But in the New Testament, God is our Father. The Bible says that, you know, Jesus was telling us that I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father, hallelujah, except by me. Okay, so I, I, I'm going somewhere. Now, people that will worship God... In this New Testament, in this new order, it says they will worship God in truth and in spirit. So the question will now be, what is truth? What is spirit? Before we go, before we go in there, let's read Hebrews. Don't forget there was, there was this order, how 
they worship God in the New, in the Old Testament. But let's see, let's read something about that quickly. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a way they were instructed to worship God in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to read. <laughs> okay. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. For the law, because it was in the law that they were instructed in Deuteronomy, in Exodus, in Leviticus, how to worship God in that particular order. But let's, let's look at the fault, okay, with that law. Uh, okay. <laughs> After this, you know, we're going to begin to worship God differently. Praise God. Now, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things. Hallelujah. The law having a shadow, having a shadow of the things that are to come, the things that are to come, okay, and not the very image, okay? I'm going to say some things after. Let me just read on. Can never with these sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. So, you know, the law coming to Jerusalem, you know, uh, bringing lambs and goats or doves or whatever they do or fruits or, you know, produce at that time. He says it can't make them perfect. Okay? And um, verse 2, for then they would not have ceased to be offered. Okay? And for the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices... This is reminded, so this is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible. <laughs> it is not possible. Okay? For the, for the, uh, for the, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats could take away sins. It's not possible. That wasn't working. It was good for year after year. Okay? But that system, that, 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 uh, uh, that mechanism, if I can put it that way, okay, that permanently takes sins away, that is found in Jesus. That, that permanently makes us perfect before God is found in Jesus. And that is what you and I, we've believed. That is where you and I, we've come unto. That is now where we stand before God. Let me just read on. I'm going to jump to verse 8. Previously seen, look at this, previously seen, okay, um, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sins you did not desire. It was saying that God doesn't desire in the sacrifice uh, for, you know, from, you know, from bulls, from goats. He doesn't desire all of those, okay? Nor add pleasure in them, Okay? Uh, let, so let me just read on. Verse 19. So, sorry, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Now, what is the will of God? The will of God is not in the lamb. The will of God is not in the sacrifice that they offer year in and year out. And Jesus is saying here in Hebrews 10, 10 verse 9 that he has come to do your will. So what is the will of God? The will of God is in Jesus the will of God is in Jesus that he was going to die, that he was going to be buried, and on the third day, he's going to rise again. Hallelujah. And that whosoever believes in that, they're going to be perfect forever. That is the will of God. 
okay, in the in, you know in, in in the blood of the bulls or the goats or the sheep. He says he is not interested in that. But Jesus said, "I've come to do your will." So the will of the Father, the will of our God, is found in Jesus. Let's move on. Um, verse ten. By that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. 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 Okay? You know, when I read the Bible and I see those, uh, is that adjective now that qualifies that, you know, that action. It is once. It's done once. Okay? Jesus doesn't die every year. Like we kill the bulls and the goats every year. He died once, once and for all. Verse, uh, verse 11. We're talking about worship, right? So verse, verse 11, Hebrews 10, 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But this man, referring to Jesus, okay? But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right side of God from that time, waiting till his enemies be, be made under his footstool. Verse 14, this is where I'm going. By one offering, he has perfected. By one offering, he has perfected, you know, those who are being sanctified. So by that, he's talking about by Jesus' once, you know, you know, death, and people that we believe in that, we've been perfected forever. We are perfected forever. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I am perfected forever. You are perfected forever. Okay? Don't forget, Jesus said, the order of worship is going to change from, you know, going to Jerusalem, from offering bulls, from killing rams, and, you know, bringing uh, pineapple or banana or, banana, or you know, or, or produce. You know, it's going to change from that into believing in Jesus. Into believing in Jesus. Now, that is what it means that those that we worship God, we worship in, in spirit and in truth. Okay, that is all it means. Don't forget in John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, except you be born again, uh, you know, uh, uh, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And he went on to explain in, uh, in verse 5 and 6 that he was talking about being born of spirit and of water. That is what it means. Okay, being born of the spirit here, or, or of water, is talking about you believing in Christ. Being born again is believing in his death, his, his, you know, his burial, and in his resurrection. That is what it means, okay, to, to, to be born of the Spirit and of the truth. Now, let's just read on. The death of Jesus, the death of Jesus is not a replacement for the sacrifice of the Old Testament. Rather, the death of Jesus is the reality of the sacrifice of the Old Testament, the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the reality. Don't forget we read in Hebrews chapter 10, it says it was a shadow of what is to come. It was a shadow of what is to come. Now, Jesus' dying and rising up again on the third day is not replacing that. It's actually the reality. They were pointing to it that Jesus was going to come. All the sacrifices they were doing in those days, it was a shadow. It was pointing to the fact that Jesus was going to come and whosoever shall believe in him, he is free and he has eternal life. And based on that, we can approach the Father. 
Based on that, we can approach the Father. Okay? So that's the reality. So with booms and, and uh, sacrifices, they were done in the Old Testament. That doesn't make you approach the Father. Okay? I've quoted to us saying, Jesus is the way. Is the truth and the life. No one else can approach him except through that means. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you have believed in his death and resurrection, it means that you can now approach the Father. Hallelujah. No more offering is expected. No more, no, no more um, offering is required. Just come before the Father. Based on what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we thank you. So, at salvation, a man receives eternal life. A man receives the Spirit. The man becomes the, a true worshiper. At salvation. And at salvation, we mean the moment. You know, there's a song, that this old song. The moment he believes, uh, a pardon receives. And he goes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That moment, that moment. A brand new life we have received. And that is not about to change. Okay? The moment, 60 years ago, 10 years ago, just yesterday, there's nothing changing that. You have that eternal life already. And that gives you the basis to approach the Father. That gives you, the, you know, that gives you that very moment. You have a brand new life. You have eternal life. You have the Spirit. You are a true worshiper. That very moment. No bulls required. No sheep, no banana or planting <laughs> required. Just come by the blood. Just come believe in Jesus. That is all it means. Now, when we worship God, we worship God based on this truth. When we sing that is my hope, we, we sing that song with this understanding in mind. Okay? This is what makes us so passionate about him. That he's not requiring, he's not requiring anything or requesting anything from us. He's just expecting you and I to believe and have that understanding. Know that we said your understanding about what God has done and about what he requires from you, we really inform and influence how you worship him, how you deal with him. Praise the Lord. So the man who comes through Jesus is perfected and sanctified. He doesn't do year in and year out and sins, uh, sin remembrance. No. The man that comes through Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and don't forget that worshiping is coming before. It means coming before. Okay? So, and we said that no man can come before the Father except by this man, Jesus Christ. And glory to God, we've believed this man. We've believed in his death. In his resurrection. And thereby we have the spirit. We have the truth. We are now true worshippers. Hallelujah. We are now true worshippers. And that's the basis where we worship. We are perfected forever. He says once and for all. We are perfected. This is the basis of our worship. Okay. True worship is based on what Jesus has done. This should reflect in our songs. It should reflect in our, in our lives. And how we do and how we conduct ourselves. He's not requesting anything. This is the basis. This is what we sing. Okay? There are all manners of songs these days. That's fine. But when it comes to true worship, we are worshiping him based on what he has done. 
That's why we're going to sing that song again, my living hope, after, after the message. We're going to sing that song knowing that he is our living hope. It took away the distance in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He says he broke down the wall of partition. He says it, he has taken us from the kingdom of the darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That is why we worship God. We worship him, worship him based on this truth that he has loved me forevermore. That there's nothing he's requesting again. Just for you to believe. And in believing, you have eternal life. Oh, I know one day I'm going to see Jesus. I know one day we are all going to see Jesus. We believed in this truth. And thereby, we have eternal life. And thereby, we have life. And thereby, we can have, approach the Father. That is why we worship. This is how we worship. This is what we sing. This is what we do. Okay, and I want to encourage us that in worshiping God, let's be conscious to in Include this truth in our songs. Hallelujah. Let's read uh, as I begin to close. <laughs> Let's read Philippians, Philippians chapter three. It's another long one. Philippians chapter three, verse three. I'll read. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul was talking to the Philippians church for the, uh, for the church in Philippi here, saying, for we are the circumcision. Look at that. He was clarifying between the Old Testament folks and the New Testament folks. Okay? He says, for we are the circumcision. How? He says, which worship God not in Jerusalem. He says, which worship God in the spirit. You and I worship God in the spirit. Now, talking about the spirit here, it's not saying, you know, I'm in the spirit. No, it's saying that we worship God because we now have the spirit of God in us. We now worship God because we are a true worshiper. We now worship God because we are doing it in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It means we are born again. What does that mean? It means we have believed in Jesus. We worship God in spirit, right? And it says, um, uh, okay, yeah. And rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in Christ. So when we come together, we rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in what he has done. Okay? Uh, and have no confidence in the flesh. In the flesh, it talks about all the sacrifices, all the you know, offerings of the old. We don't have confidence in all of those. We worship God in the spirit. That's what he's saying. Right. And... Um, Okay, then Paul started, he started talking about what he has done in the past, in the past, talking about his confidence in the flesh, how he was circumcised on the, on the eighth day, and he's, he's, in the, he's a proper Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. You know, he's talking about himself as Hebrews of Hebrews, you know, so, touching about the law that is a Pharisee. He was talking about all of those flesh, all of those offerings that he used to do. Okay, uh, concerning zeal, he says, forget about that. I am number one. I do these things up to the letter. That was what Paul was telling us. Talking about being an, an Hebrew, I'm one. Talking about the laws of the Pharisee, I am one. Talking about, you know, uh, uh, the laws and the flesh and all of those. He says, I am a super. We all know about Paul. He was persecuting everybody, thinking he was worshipping God. So, let's read on. Concerning zeal, <laughs> he said, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law and blameless. 
Look at verse 7. But what things were gains to me? He says, those I counted loss for Christ. He says, those I counted loss for Christ. He uh, says, ye doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. Verse 9. And him, and being found in him, not in my own righteousness, which is of the law. Not of our own righteousness. Jesus Christ is the offering. Jesus Christ has been offered to, okay, so that we can now approach the Father. That is the point. And that is how, you know, we should worship God uh, going forward. Let's just begin to wrap up. And I say that we worship God based on that. We, we, we should begin to compose song, songs based on that. Okay? That is our hope. That is our life. That has moved us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That has forgiven us all our sins. That we have eternal life. That is our hope in this world. And that we continue and strive to know him better. I tell you, the more you know about what Christ has done for you, you will love him. There won't be any, any force or someone trying to coerce you into worshiping God. You will want, you see, you see the, 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 the downside to the gospel of Christ is that we've not been telling people about what God has done for them. There's no man. Let me not, let me not be absolute. There is hardly no one, hardly no one, that we hear about God's love and we turn his back. We come with judgment. If you don't do this, God is going to punish you. God is not a bad God. He loves everybody. And that's the gospel. If we know what he has done for the, for, for the believer, even for the unbeliever, what he needs to do is just to believe. And he is going to enjoy all of this and we can worship God together. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.